Welcome to the Jennings Wire online magazine podcast series where we feature interviews with top authors and experts. My name is Stacey Amaral Kaufman. I'm the radio director of Annie Jennings PR, the national firm behind the online feature magazine sensation, JenningsWire.com a special community of bloggers and podcasters that is capturing the heart of America. There's nothing like it on the web, and we invite you to visit JenningsWire.com to discover the blogger that is just right for you. Today's guest is Joe Ivester. She's author of The Outskirts of Hope, where she describes her family's experience in a small, all-black town in Mississippi in the 60s, where her father ran a medical clinic and her mother was a local high school teacher, and Joe was the only white student at her junior high. Their very presence pulled them into the civil rights movement. So welcome, Joe. Thank you. It's very nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, it's our pleasure to have you. Let's talk a little bit about the culture shock it must have been for you and your family. What do you remember most from those experiences? Well, what uh, shocked me the most was the prevalence of prejudice and discrimination. Uh, There were still whites-only facilities. Uh, So one example uh, when my mother was uh, first going to town, uh, she went a, a couple months before us just to see what it would be like. She needed to use a restroom, and no one told her that if you were a civil rights worker coming into Mississippi in the 1960s, that you didn't take advantage of a whites-only restroom or a whites-only water fountain or a whites-only movie theater. And uh, what today we would call white privilege, and she was desperate, and she used a facility, and people were very upset with her. And when I say people, I mean the folks in the all-black town where we moved to, and she felt ostracized. Um, So that was a a very difficult introduction for her. Uh, I had a, a very different experience, a very positive, where my first day in town, I was uh, looking for kids to play with. I was 10 years old. I put on my jeans and T-shirt and sneakers after school, went out looking for some fun, and I found a group of boys playing football in an empty lot. Um, The lot, as it turns out, where our trailer ended up being, uh, so it was my front yard. Uh, So I asked these boys if I could play. Years later, I found out how stunned they had been and how they didn't know how to react. It hadn't occurred to me that I had put them in an awkward position, but they had been brought up that you couldn't say no to a white person. If a white person asked you for something, you did it. They had been brought up not to look a white person in the eye. If they were walking down the street in the next town over where there was both a white community and a black community, if a white person was coming down the sidewalk in the opposite direction, they were supposed to step into the street to avoid any possibility for contact. Or if they were paying for something in a store, they were supposed to just use the very tips of their fingers to hand over money, and the shopkeeper would do the same on the receiving end so that they wouldn't touch. This was the atmosphere that we moved into. Well, the boys decided to let me play, but they strategized that what they would do was give me the ball and tackle me so hard that I wouldn't want to play with them, I'd run away crying, and I wouldn't be their problem anymore. Well, they didn't know me. I wasn't like that at all. I was just thinking, oh my gosh, they let me play. This is so great. Not only that, they gave me the ball. I'm running my heart out. They tackled me, not just the other team, but my own teammates. And I came up laughing. They said, years later, when I interviewed them, they said, your face was so red, but you were laughing. And we decided, oh, well, and that 
from that moment on, that was my circle of friends. And so we overcame the societal norms that said white kids and black kids couldn't play together. Um, but it was a real shock to me that, that those those rules existed. The Jim Crow laws and rules and norms were still in place. The other piece of it was the poverty. Uh, there were so many homes that didn't have indoor plumbing, that didn't have electricity, uh, that the wind could just come through um, openings between the, the pieces of wood. Uh, it was it was very poor. And coming from a um, upscale neighborhood in Boston, I was I was stunned. Hmm. Now I know you've spent a lot of this last year touring the country, speaking about your experiences. What do you hope your audiences will gain uh, from your comments? There are a few things. Uh, I think the biggest is the the recognition that one individual, one family can make a difference. My my parents were heroes as far as I'm concerned with their willingness to move our family to Mississippi and to help. And as I've interviewed people uh, that were, were there at the time, I consistently have heard that my parents made a difference, that our family made a difference. And, and so I want people to be aware of that. I want people to be aware that there is a tremendous need to reach out to those who are from a different background from ourselves. That uh, if 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 I get the opportunity to talk with school kids, for example, which is one of the things that that I very much like to do, middle school and high school kids, I will try to get them thinking about how they form their own little cliques within the school, and even if the school is very diverse, the students end up forming into groups that are like each other, either same nationality or same language or um, same color. Uh, there's a tendency for the kids to not reach out beyond their own heritage. And I'm encouraging them to do that. And that that not only does it uh, make for a a society that gets along better, they may make some really good friends. And so I I get them thinking about that, and I'm hoping to inspire them. And, And it works. When they hear personal stories, then they they realize I can make a difference, and they promise me they're going to try. And Joe, I know you're working already on a new book. Can you tell us just a little bit about that? Sure, it's um, it's in the same vein in that it's a civil rights uh, related book, but it's a civil rights issue of today. Um, my husband and I have a 26 year old son who happens to be transgender. He started life as our daughter. And he has been on this phenomenal journey as he has uh, transitioned and transformed himself. Uh, And he agreed with me recently to write a book with me that is going to present his story and how, as a family, we have viewed this as a remarkable adventure and opportunity. And it's been a loving and, and accepting situation, certainly with its difficulties. Love and acceptance came right away. Understanding takes longer. And we are now committed to helping other families. There are too many cases where kids come out to their families and are thrown out of their homes, uh, where they are rejected by their schools, where they are prevented from using uh, facilities or participating in sports. And I'm hoping that in the same way that my first book has 
forwarded the conversation about racial relations, that my second book will forward the conversation about uh, the importance of accepting trans individuals and increasing that understanding. Well, Joe, these are two very wonderful and important critical missions in our society. So we we thank you for that, and our listeners can learn much more about Joe Ivester and her award-winning book, The Outskirts of Hope, on her website, which is joeivester.com. That's J-O-I-V-E-S-T-E-R, joeivester.com. Of course, The Outskirts of Hope can be purchased in paperback or ebook through Amazon as well. Joe is also active on Facebook and Twitter and available for speaking engagement. So thank you, Joe, for joining us. Thank you. I've enjoyed chatting with you, and um, I appreciate the opportunity to help get word out. And this podcast is presented by Annie Jennings with the national publicity firm, Annie Jennings PR, the creator of Jennings Wire Online Magazine. Jennings Wire is capturing the heart of America with its rich community of talented, insightful, and relevant bloggers and podcasters. So please visit JenningsWire.com and discover the blogger that's just right for you. Till next time.